feisty, fearless, and fair, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. Sneaky Pete, and we're talking about Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, who, boy, uh, he really was trying to kind of just slide on in there into East Palestine, Ohio, finally coming. And to me, it is absolutely outrageous that Pete Buttigieg takes nearly three weeks to the day of that toxic train derailment to finally go to East Palestine, Ohio. What a disgrace. Why did it take him that long? Why did he start pointing fingers at President Trump? Of course, almost the minute he was on the ground, he even did it before he arrived in Ohio. And remember, he was just asked recently, hey, are you going to go there? Well, leave me alone, he said to the reporter. I need some me time. I need to have time to myself, and I'll get there when I can. It was the most lackluster, insensitive response that I have heard from a federal official in I don't know how long. The only person who I think has been more lackluster in helping the American people in East Palestine, Ohio, is Joe Biden. He has been MIA. I mean, he has really not said anything. He really has been so unresponsive about it. He doesn't seem to care. He seems so incredibly detached. And he's actually making Buttigieg look a little bit better than Biden. I didn't think that was possible. But Buttigieg today finally goes to East Palestine. And the response he got was kind of lackluster and deservedly so. When Trump went, it was like, Cheers. It sounded like it was almost like a Super Bowl entrance. They were ecstatic to see him. And you could tell they were so happy that somebody came and somebody cared, just showed up just to say, we love you. We're thinking about you. You're not forgotten. Bringing water, bringing medical supplies, doing whatever he could just to comfort them and spend time. And they were so happy that somebody took the initiative and greeted them and let them know they were not alone and they were not, you know, just so by themselves, by despair. You think about how overwhelmed they are at this moment. I mean, they are literally going over to Norfolk Southern, who owns the railroad, and saying, did you basically take some years off my life? Did you kill my kid? Those are the kind of questions that these people are wondering. And I would wonder, too, if I was in East Palestine. Wouldn't you? I mean, there are reports that now 3,500 fish have died. That's coming from a state agency is saying it. That's not, you know, just some citizen just randomly saying it. That's a state agency saying it. And by the way, I heard today, and this is amazing. Remember what happened in Flint, Michigan years ago where they had the water problems? That was years ago. Guess what? Today they are still boiling water in Flint, Michigan. So if you think this is going away anytime soon... Sadly, it is not for the people of East Palestine. And Buttigieg could barely get there. And when he did, it was just so unimpressive. It was so lackluster. And it just shows he is not a leader. And sadly, it shows that the Biden administration really has treated them like an afterthought. That's how he has treated these people. And a lot of people have come on the show and said that they believe 
it is because of politics. Because 70 to 80 percent of East Palestine in that area basically voted for President Trump. That it's basically a GOP area. And if that is what it comes down to, shame on them that these officials did not come for political reasons because, what, they weren't Biden voters, they weren't uh, Mayor Pete's voters. How sad is that? Sadly, these people may be right. Many of you have said that. We even had Rudy Giuliani on the show last night who was over in East Palestine, and he was saying the same thing. He was saying, you know, why else are they just don't care about basically middle America because it's not their voting base. Boy, is that a sad testament to priorities of this administration, so much for being a president of all people, so much for being a transportation secretary of all people. What are your thoughts about the appearance of Pete Buttigieg, who, by the way, it was an interesting moment earlier tonight, um, and you know I have the good fortune of now co-hosting with John Katsimatidis on WABC, 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock Eastern Time. And if you, you can also stream it on WABCradio.com. But Mayor Giuliani called in. He's still over there in East Palestine. And he was with the mayor today. And the mayor has come out and said that he feels utterly abandoned, that he is so uh, distraught and feels like the Biden administration it basically puts America last, that, you know, the people of East Palestine are not important to him. And boy, is that a sad testament. They should have been down there on day one supporting them. And so Rudy was talking about this press conference that happened this morning. And there's the mayor of East Palestine. And Buttigieg kind of just arrives. He sort of sulks in. And he's sort of in the background just waiting and waiting and waiting as the mayor is doing this press conference and answering questions and talking about a whole bunch of stuff. And you sort of see Buttigieg, sort of this minor player in the background. Finally, he comes up to the microphone. And they weren't rude to him. By the way, I would have been rude to him. If he had been there, I would have been firing every single question at him as a journalist. And if I was a resident of East Palestine, I said this to you guys last night, I would have brought a bucket of tomatoes. I'm telling you, I would have been so angry and just shouted at him. And I would have been so worried if I was living there and my family in basically that plume of toxic smoke and in that contaminated water, just think about what they're thinking about every single day and just the stress physically, emotionally on all these people. Mayor Pete is lucky he didn't get a pie in the face. I mean, literally. I mean, these people have more class than Buttigieg and Biden have in their pinky finger, that they actually still treated him with decency and with respect. That should say an incredible amount about the people of East Palestine. Boy, have they been patient, and boy, have they been graceful during an incredibly difficult situation. 1-800-848-9222 is the number to call. 1-800-848-9222. And you are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. First off, everybody, here is Pete Buttigieg when he gets on the ground And he tries to compliment the people of East Palestine, who it took three weeks for him to get there. And I just have to say the the resilience, the resolve and the decency of this community as they have gone through both uh, this disaster's immediate impacts and the swirl of national and international and political attention that's come their way. uh, Their decency and resolve has been inspiring. And you better be glad you didn't get a pie in the face. Uh, that you didn't get, like, uh, you know, a bucket of water in your face, buddy, 
Yeah, they really were graceful. Uh, more graceful than I would have been. More graceful than you would have been. Uh, I'm telling you, it is outrageous. And then, of course, then it turned to the typical Buttigieg, typical Biden line. Everything is orange man bad, and they are just the most incredible things you've ever seen. So here is Buttigieg again. He waits three weeks to get there. And within a few minutes, he again has Trumpitis. Take a listen to what he says. We're not afraid to own our policies when it comes to raising the bar on regulation. And uh, I've got to think that uh, uh, him indicating that this is uh, something that everybody, no matter how much you disagree on politics and presidential campaigns, can get behind. Higher fines, tougher uh, uh, regulations on safety, Congress untying our hands on breaking rules, all the other things that go with that. Uh, that'd be a nice thing for him to do. I mean, outrageous. Give me a break. Stop trying to blame Trump. Trump has not been in office for a number of years. It's like if it's raining outside, it's Trump's fault. I mean, if you have a cold today, is it Trump's fault, Mayor Pete? Uh, if your grass hasn't been cut and your lawn, Mayor Pete, is it Trump's fault? I am so fed up with Mayor Pete and Biden and that whole slew of group Everything is Trump's fault. It is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I mean, they're going to be saying it, you know, when he's in a wheelchair, when he's 90 years old. Uh, oh, my wheelchair is uh, creaking. It must be Trump's fault. You're going to see him in the old age home. That's Mayor Pete and that's Biden. I mean, it is insane. And then they went further. Take a listen. They basically blamed the train accident, of course, on Trump. You mentioned a national political figure who's decided to get involved. It sounds like you're talking about Trump. And then you said, I need your help. How can he help? Well, one thing he could do is uh, uh, express support for reversing the deregulation uh, that uh, happened on his watch. I heard him say he had nothing to do with it, even though it was in his administration. Uh, so if he had nothing to do with it and uh, they did it in his administration against his will, uh, maybe he could come out and say that, uh, uh, that uh, he supports us moving in a different direction. I mean, give me a break. His correct answer should be, well, you know what? Trump has left office, so me and my sorry president should stop blaming everything on President Trump. We should finally put on our big boy pants and act like grownups and finally take some responsibility. And yeah, point blame wherever it deserves, whether it's Norfolk Southern, uh, whether it's maybe the governor. I mean, there's a lot of questions here. And we're going to get to some of the root causes because the NTSB came out a few hours ago with some preliminary findings. But if you look at it, it ain't Trump's fault. Are you kidding me? He wasn't driving the train. Get over it, Mayor Pete. Pete the Builder, as they're calling him tonight. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Ben. Line one, Ben, your thoughts. This this guy is unbelievable. Like, literally, within one second, it's Trump's fault. Yeah, Rita, I agree. You know, they're passing the buck. When the buck should, you know, as I, one, one of our presidents said, it's the buck stop here. And so my, my thing was that Pete Buttigieg, he waited for three weeks so that the, um, the cloud of the poisonous whatever – could uh, pass through the atmosphere and also that it could seep in, in, into the ground and so that, you know, it could be all clear. 
You know you what? Hey, hey, Ben, maybe he did it because he wants it to be safe for him to visit. What yeah, do you yeah, think that's, about that's that, saying. Ben? That's what I'm saying. It's safe for him. Hey, uh, Rita, can I recommend a movie for the weekend for you and your, um, uh, I guess, listeners? What is it? Pete's Possible Journey or something like that? Go no, ahead. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, called, it's called Jesus Revolution. It's about the 60s, the hippies, and how this one guy left the drug culture and came to Jesus. Oh, that's beautiful. And so, G- yeah, JesusRevolution.movie if you want to see the trailer. All right, I'll check it out. That sounds good. I, you know, We could use a little faith, especially, uh, and a lot of prayers, especially for the people of East Palestine. Ben, thank you very, very much. Let's go to Anastasia. Line three, Anastasia, your thoughts. Good evening, Rita. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, unfortunately, uh, both our president and their um, Mr. Burajek, whatever his name is, should have been there the moment this occurred and they heard of it, they should have ran over there. Uh, I absolutely feel that definitely these people feel left out. Uh, they're not being treated as Americans. They are being treated as uh, in politics. This is all politics, unfortunately. And you know what's interesting, Anastasia? I keep thinking of President Biden um, when he won. Remember right after he, uh, you know, the numbers came in his favor and he came out there and he's like, I will be a president for all America. I'll be a uniter in chief. And boy, has he gone downhill since then. I call it the Darth Vader speech. Like every time he speaks since then, it's been MAGA bad, MAGA this. And I, I can't. I, I sadly can't think of another reason why he would have avoided East Palestine. I mean, there's no other reason. I mean, it's not like it's too far. It's not like you can't see the horrible images. You see the flames. It looks like an apocalypse when you see the remember the control burn and the accident. I mean, it's just to me, there's no reason other than politics. And they haven't given any other reason. They haven't said, oh, we'll go when the time is right. I mean, that is if they were not publicly shamed by all the media coverage of how bad it is, and even the Democratic, even the mainstream media is showing how bad it is, and also President Trump going, President Trump deserves the credit because him going there, him showing up and supporting the people of East Palestine got them off their patooties. And at least bravo to him. Real quick, Anastasia. Bravo to Mr. President Trump. I hope he returns. I hope one day everybody wakes up and smells the coffee. Well, at least he showed what a real leader is because, boy, uh, at least he got booty off his booty and he showed up there in East Palestine. We'll continue with your calls after the break. Thanks, Anastasia. 1-800-848-9222. And you are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, that sounds like Buttigieg could not run away. He had to show up, and he kind of like slipped right in there like a guy named Sneaky Pete would do. 
888-848-9222. Let's go to Robert, line six. Uh, Robert, your thoughts um, when you hear the fact that it took him three weeks and he gives the whole, like, blame Trump speech and then just kind of slides right out. And now he can say, oh, uh, I was there. You know, it's like someone who says, uh, yeah, I showed up the the party and you're there for five minutes. That's basically what he did, Robert. Hi, Rita. This is disgusting, but it goes much deeper than that. Last year was a movie called White Noise about a train wreck with hazardous cargo in of all places, East Palestine, Ohio. This is environmental eco-terrorism. The FBI, everybody should be calling them. That is why, by the way, let me ask you, just because I'm not familiar with the movie, um, but I'm going to check it out. You're saying that it happened in the movie, that it happened in East Palestine in the movie? That's right. Oh, that's wild. Life, yeah, life imitating art. And it's called White Noise. Very in a very, very deadly fashion. So, okay, so let, you just brought up, you said uh, terrorism. What What do you think is, are you saying it's sabotage, or where are you going with this, Robert? Yes, sabotage. And they're using the wheel bearing as a cover story. And who's behind it? Who do you suggest is behind it? Who knows? Greenpeace. That, that's for the federal investigators to find out. That's interesting. By the way, Robert, I have not heard anybody talk about this movie, talk about the fact it's there. Um, you know, that that's a really interesting uh, nugget because that is something I have not heard. Now, your point about yes. sabotage, you know what? And I'm not a big conspiracy person, Robert, but there have been all these different kind of accidents of late. Um, and I'm saying accidents in quotes, you know, like being but there have been these things. That have happened with like the power grid, with the food supply, um, now with this. Um, by the way, there was a fire the other day in Oak, uh, Oak Ridge nuclear plant that's in Tennessee. Turned out to be, you know, nothing serious. But there's a lot of these kind of weird things happening. And uh, it does make you wonder, is there something nefarious behind here? Uh, Robert, thank you. That was a really yes. interesting call. I'm going to check out oh, a White well, Noise. Go well, ahead. Yep. Thing. Go ahead, Robert, since you're filling us in with good stuff. Go ahead. That train was also carrying food among some of the real cars. How do you, you know that? Has this materials and food on the same train? Wait, no, what kind of food was on there? I wasn't aware of that either. What kind of food, Robert? Oh, I, I didn't get exact details, like, you know, grain and all kinds of stuff. Well, that is wild, too, because just like you said, they should not be combining the two whatsoever. And the other problem that happened with this car, uh, with all these cars, by the way, the train was like about two miles long, the length of the train. It's a huge train. And they did not mark the hazardous materials. And you just brought up an interesting point, because if indeed they were carrying food and hazardous materials, first of all, uh, who would ever do that? What a dangerous situation to mix hazardous materials and food that people eat. And two, the other issue is um, they did not mark it. So it makes you wonder, were they doing that uh, because they were carrying food and didn't want to mark that it was hazardous materials on the same train, which is obviously uh, not in line with policies? Uh, We're going to check all this out. Robert, you got some good stuff. We appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Let's go to Paul, line seven. Paul, your thoughts. Uh, Hey, Rita, how are you? I'm good. What do you think about uh, Buttigieg? And also, you just heard from Robert had some interesting stuff there. 
I didn't, I didn't know about that as uh, well, what Rob said. But the thing with, with Buttigieg, Buttigieg, only, um, he was only hired because he checks all the boxes. He's, he's homosexual, he's gay, all right, he's leftist. He has no qualifications for the job. Yeah, but but, oh, but I don't but, care but, what gender you are. I was just about to say, but Paul, because because Paul yeah, the no, sec- I, exactly. As long as you could do the job, that's my he point too. He cannot do the job. He's, it's, 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 he, he doesn't even show up. He only decided to show up because Trump went, and also Biden. He's neglecting the red states again, like he did with the bailouts. Yeah. He Absolutely. Like you know, so you're right. There is a pattern here, Paul, and that's an interesting, powerful pattern. And that to me is so disgusting. That is so. And by the way, you know, even for political reasons, Biden needs Ohio. So he shouldn't be abandoning Ohio. He shouldn't be doing it anyway. Uh, but he is dumb and he is insensitive. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment, a powerful story coming from Lincoln, Nebraska. I love our Back the Blue segment because we get to honor our great men and women in uniform and also their families. This one is a story about a Lincoln police officer who pulled a woman from a submerged car in a freezing pond on Wednesday. And it's the second such rescue that he has performed in just six months. Uh, basically, a 27-year-old woman was driving in South Lincoln on Wednesday evening when she tried to take a turn on the icy roads. She was traveling at a high rate of speed for icy conditions as freezing precipitation fell and the wind chill reached near zero. You can imagine how cold it was in Lincoln, Nebraska. And her vehicle left the road. It struck an electrical transformer before continuing into a pond on the grounds of Wilderness Ridge Golf Course. And the car began to sink and a witness called 911. Well, Sergeant Tu Tran was one of the first people on the scene. He saw that the vehicle was nearly submerged at that point in the pond with only one rear window and the trunk visible above the water at that time. He immediately jumped into the freezing water, proceeded to swim to the vehicle, and was able to open an unlocked rear door. Though he couldn't see through the murky water, he felt a leg inside of the vehicle, and he pulled the woman to safety before the car completely sank. The woman was taken to a local hospital for treatment, whereupon Officer Tran put on a dry uniform, And he returned to work, basically all in a day's work. Now, by the way, this incident wasn't Tran's first time diving into a pond to save someone from a sinking car. Back in September, Officer Tran rescued yet another driver who suffered a medical emergency and drove his truck into a pond. And he has saved two people by his great heroics. Bravo uh, to Sergeant Tran and, of course, all the great men and women in the Lincoln, Nebraska Police Department. And I can't imagine how freezing that water was. And again, murky. And he felt a leg and saved that woman just by touch, not by sight. What an incredible, incredible uh, rescue. And just shows how difficult and how treacherous often it is for our men and women in blue. Well, we are talking, of course, about Pete Buttigieg finally making to Ohio. 
And he got a little bit of a different reception. I'm calling it Sneaky Pete because he just kind of like slipped in there and slithered in there. And he wouldn't even take any questions. Like on the way out, uh, he looked like a witness, uh, you know, like at a uh, at a mob trial. Like it was like the informant, you know, when you kind of like almost put a disguise on and you show up with a beard and different hair or whatever. He was kind of like hiding his head down. And reporters were peppering him with questions because they everybody. You know, not just, you know, uh, the right wing media, uh, middle, far left. Everybody was like, oh, Mayor Pete, uh, where have you been for three weeks? You know, have you been lactating? What are you doing? Right. So through all of this, basically, he just kind of had his head down. He didn't answer really any questions from reporters. He just kind of did a few when he was there at the podium. As you heard, he took some questions, made some statements. But other than that, it was like, let me slip in and let me slip out so I can basically say, yeah. I showed up Uh, a far cry from the way that President Trump was treated when he showed up there. He got a hero's welcome yesterday. I remember it was like he pulled in, by the way, with pallets of water for everybody. Uh, Thousands of pounds of cleaning materials basically said we're going to keep the water coming. I mean, Trump did more in like two seconds than Pete Buttigieg has done basically all year. And Trump came and was very firm, was very clear, and he spoke directly to the people there in Ohio who are dealing with this crisis. And who can recall, he just sounded like a leader, whereas Pete sounded like uh, like wimpy Pete. Uh, but here is President Trump yesterday, and it was just direct, clear, and it was inspiring and in what those people needed to hear. To the people of East Palestine and to the nearby communities in Ohio and Pennsylvania, uh, we have told you loud and clear, you are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. We stand with you, we pray for you, and we will stay with you in your fight to help answer and the accountability that you deserve. We'll have that accountability. It'll all be out there very clearly. Yeah, I mean, at least he was there. We love you. We stand with you. We're with you. And again, remember, he's not the president of the United States, but he's sure been acting like it and been acting much more like a leader than anybody in the Biden administration in this crisis. And who could recall, this was Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Yesterday, it was like, oh, you know, we're going to kind of get around to it. And listen to this. It's like a wet noodle. Take a listen. Do you wish you would have spoken out sooner? Yes, I was uh, focused on just making sure that uh, our folks on the ground uh, were all set, but uh, could have spoken sooner about how strongly I felt uh, about this incident. And uh, that's a lesson learned for me. Oh, I'm glad that you learned a lesson. That's really what this is all about. Is this like second grade? Yes, I learned a lesson, Mommy. I mean, these are people are going through a crisis, and that's the best he can do. I learned a lesson. It's a teachable moment for me. Do you think that that helps or gives comfort to the people in East Palestine? That's outrageous. And this is what Sean Duffy has to say about the lack of leadership. We assure them that aid is going to come. We haven't forgotten you. We, we know what's happened. We are going to stand with your community as you go through this crisis. But when you ignore people, it shows you don't care. And the Democrat Party, and Joe Biden was talking about this earlier, saying, listen, we're losing uh, rural middle income Americans because they don't think we care about them. Well, here was a great opportunity to show up these middle income rural Americans. You do care, but you don't show up. No one from the administration actually shows up. Any, none, right. none of the A-listers come. It shows you don't give a darn about the. Yeah, it shows you don't give a darn. And he said there. this was a moment. You know, there's moments in, I think, leaders' lives and just average citizens, too. When you're faced with a crisis, 
How do you react? Do you fold like a cheap suit or do you stand up and act like a leader, especially when people are in crisis? And in this case, it was like a uh, like a Walmart suit or a Kmart suit. Take a listen. This is, this Sean is a great opportunity for leaders to lead. It shows you got chops. You care about people. Pete Buttigieg should have been salivating to show what he can do for this community as the, the, the secretary of transportation. But not not showing up means you don't care. He only cares about the elites on the coast, but not the middle part of this country. And it's shameful. Yeah, that is shameful. And there's I can't think of any other reason. I wish there was some other reason, because I would hope that somebody who's in leadership in this country, whether they have a, an R or a D or they're an I for an independent in front of their name, whatever it is, I would hope that they would stand up just because we're Americans and you want to take care of the homeland. You want to help these people who absolutely deserve our love and support. In fact, it just came out today. There was a report that 3,500 fish have died. This is coming from a state agency. This is not, again, just somebody on the ground saying it, you know, a citizen or, or some, you know, fringe group or whatever. This is the, the state agency has come out and said 3,500 fish at least have died. Um, and again, as I mentioned, Flint, Michigan, which had that water problem years ago, they are still boiling water there today. And you're going to sit and say to East Palestine, oh, go back. Nothing to worry about. You know, keep drinking the water. You're going to have uh, three years in two years. I mean, this is crazy. I would move out. I mean, it is obscene and it is outrageous on so many levels. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to JC in Pennsylvania, uh, right there, which is also being affected, of course, not just Ohio. JC, your thoughts on all this? Well, Rita, there's so many thoughts. By the way, how are you? A long time I haven't spoken to you. I was going to say, um, JC, I have to ask, We, you have neglected us. Where have you been? Yeah, I called in a couple of times, and I got, I've, I've been having a couple of different things go on. But, however, uh, back to the topic, Rita, I hope you're doing well. We are, um, and by I, the way, I hope you are, too. We're so happy to hear from you, JC. We always love yeah. your voice. So I saw the movie, White Noise, okay? But the difference, the main difference is, Okay, luckily those people did not have the Biden administration uh, in the movie because immediately the military was sent there and immediately when there was a catastrophe, the people were evacuated immediately. Now, what should have happened is immediately the governor, DeWine, should have sent the National Guard there to just organize what was going on. And they should have sent, FEMA should have been in there right away. The state should have sent in uh, all of the people who could do the research to find out what was going on. Uh, People needed help. They needed uh, food. They needed fresh water. They needed comfort. They needed transportation. They needed evacuation. Our government did not. But this got to be more of a lesson, not just for uh, the Ohioans and the Palestinians, Okay, over there. This should be a wake-up call for the whole United States of America, all Americans, to show that our government is willing to leave us out in the lurk on a situation like this. And the reason, one of the reasons why they didn't go there immediately, because it did not serve their agenda. If there was a hurricane, if there was lightning, if there was a fire, Okay, if there was a tornado, they'd be there in a minute so they could tell 
oh, climate change, climate, we got to do something about this. We got to throw money on this. Uh, climate change, it did not meet their agenda. JC, let me ask you, hang on, hang on. You bring up an interesting point. So do you believe it was because they're Trump voters or do you believe that, like you just said, um, that this wasn't some, although, you know, what's interesting. You could make the case with this. Obviously, there's a huge environmental disaster, but they can't blame climate change for it. You know, Um, but but do you believe it's the issue didn't work or it's the people didn't work? Because uh, it's inconceivable that you wouldn't help these incredible folks. No, you know what it is? It's just the total failure of the people they have in power that are running. Who beat it? Buttigieg? Is he kidding? Okay, I mean, really, is he kidding? He didn't say anything consoling to those people. There was not a real incident of of any real humanity there. They're they're not people. They are not true people. In the in the, in this you know in the matter of helping human beings. Yep. They're no. All there for JC, I hear you, and that's what really is saddened. That really, really saddens you know to me. You know, you talked about the white noise, um, and just as JC said, and Richard, um, who had called before, Richard or Robert, I can't remember. I think it was Robert who called before, um, and which was a really interesting point. I haven't seen the movie. I actually want to see. It. I'm going to watch it now this weekend. Um, it came out. I think it was November. And it was actually based on a book, but it was filmed in Ohio, and it was kind of around that area. And it's about basically very similar plot to what happened with this train derailment. And, J.C., I think part of the reason in the movie that the military responded so quick and the government responded so quick is it's inconceivable that they wouldn't. They wanted it to sound realistic. They didn't count, like just as you said, that it's the Biden administration, you know, like any like anybody watching it would say, of course, the government would come right in. They wanted to make it feel like it was real life. They didn't take into account that sadly real life under President Biden and his team is a far cry and it feels like fiction. I wish it was only fiction, but sadly, it's a crazy reality. Um, you know, J.C., you brought up also the sort of disconnect and this sort of like, you know, just uninterest um, that they seem to have. And that is what the detachment is so shocking to me, um, you know, because believe me, if I didn't have to be here every day, which I love being with all of you guys, um, I would be over in Ohio. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like I wish I could bring drive there and bring a U-Haul truck with water or do whatever I could. And if you're in the government, how could you not want to do that? It's just human nature. These people are obviously amazing people. And you look at that, everybody sees that mushroom cloud and the, you know, the big plume of smoke and you're seeing the dead fish and the kids and them crying. And it's just, there is no way that I would have let it go even a few hours. I mean, if they were real leaders, they would have been on a plane within, you know, within an hour or two. We're over here to help you as opposed to wait till the smoke clears and then they show up. I mean, that is like pathetic. That's like someone who's like, Oh, um, how's your car after you get in a car accident? You've been out of the hospital. You fixed it. Hey, do you need anything? Oh, okay. You don't anymore. Okay. 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 I mean, it's the same thing. Take a listen because yesterday here on the show, JC, we had on Jenny Tear and this exchange now has gone viral. I think it's like 10 million people have watched this video because it just epitomizes who, uh, Booty Buttigieg is, right? Because she encounters him in Washington, D.C., um, and I think it was yesterday before he obviously came there to uh, East Palestine. 
And she sees him on the street, fair game. He's walking down the street and she asks him, hey, what do you want to say to the people in East Palestine? You want to, what do you want to do? Are you going to go there? And he's like, basically leave me. I need, I need some me time. I, I mean, what are you kidding? Listen to this. Secretary, what do you have to say? Hi, how are you? Good. Jenny Chair at the Daily Caller News Foundation. What do you have to say to the folks in Ohio, East Palestine, who are suffering right now? Well, I'd refer you to about a dozen interviews I've given today. And uh, if you'd like to arrange a conversation, make uh, sure to reach out to our press office as well. I can have that conversation with you. Just walk you don't have a message here. for them? I do, and I shared it with the press many times today. I'd refer you to those comments. Do you mind sharing it with us? No, I'm going to refer you to the comments that I made to the press because uh, right now I'm taking some personal time and I'm walking down the street. Are you going down there? <clears throat> What's up? Are you going down there at all? Um, yeah, I am. When are you going? Uh, I'll share that uh, when I'm ready. Okay, talk thank you. Can I, a, can I get a photo of you? Yeah. Could I get a photo of you so I could uh, make sure that we have uh, 10 Secret Service agents following you for the rest of your life? I mean, that's bizarre, too. What is he, like, tracking reporters? I mean, what does he have it on his wall at home to do not talk to? You know, like a, a wanted poster, you know, in a, in a post office. And then also it's like, no, I, I have some personal time. To me, that is the most offensive thing. Like, how could you bother me about something like a, like a, like a mushroom cloud that's bothering, potentially polluting, uh, the water for 30 million Americans? That's what they're saying, that there is a potential based on what's happened here that 30 million Americans may be without clean water. I mean, not 30, not uh, 300, 30 million. Uh, It's a 30-mile radius so far that's affected. And they believe because of the water that's gotten into the wells, the streams, the you know, everything, 30 million. And he wants some me time. Please don't bother me about something as silly as only 30 million people. Shocking. Let's go to Norm, line five, real quick, Norm. Hi, Rita. Yeah, viewing this snotty little fake veteran boy going to Palestine to Palestine today. All he had to offer was blaming Trump for this disaster. And the truth is, no politician caused this. By the way, What's if he went to now, pa- by the way, Norm, if he went to Palestine, uh, he'd poop in his pants. He couldn't handle five seconds of the real Palestine. But go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and <laughs> I agree. What's important now is showing leadership. Now that it has happened. Presently, President Trump has never placed the blame on the Democrats for this. The sitting Democrats need to stop the politics, take action, water, medical aid where needed, and moral support, and stop the Barack Obama fourth-term presidential campaign, please. Yeah, bravo. Norm, bravo. I love your passion, my friend. I feel it, too, and I get so angry. We're going to continue your calls, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. And you are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. The Rita Cosby Show. Well... Pete Buttigieg slipped into Ohio, and it was a far cry from this reception yesterday that President Trump got. Take a listen. Remember this? And today it was like, Buttigieg, Buttigieg. 
jig. I'm waiting for them to do that. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Dave in Pennsylvania. Dave, your thoughts about all this? Hi, Rhea. Thanks for taking my call. You know, this is, you know, Buttigieg typifies a typical modern leftist elitist. Like AOC, they know nothing about anything, but they want to rule our lives on everything. And this is just his position here is just like a paid internship for his political career. And his true sensibilities, the left sensibilities truly came out. They didn't show up. And even when they did, they didn't even do good showing up. So I just think it exemplifies and illustrates really what the left's all about. And and you know what I also think, um, Dave, thank you for the call. I also think, by the way, um, I think this has killed uh, Pete Buttigieg's presidential chances. I really do, because I think he showed such a lackluster uh, attempt to want to go there. And just like you said, when he showed up, it was so unimpressive. Uh, it was so mamsy-pamsy. It was just so docile. His response has been, like, not what a leader should do. And he's the tra- Secretary of Transportation. It is a train accident. And by the way, in the next hour, we're going to talk about what the preliminary findings are of the accident. Um, but this is clearly under his purview. And for him to act like, oh, I, you know, like, I don't really have anything to do with that. Um, and I think back again about the supply chain problems. He was terrible. Didn't really do anything when all the airline issues were happening. Remember, he was lactating then, too. And with all of those problems, you know, he has been so unimpressive. And this was a moment where he really could have shined. He could have stepped up and really looked like a leader. And I think this absolutely has, I think, killed his chances of being the, uh, you know, running for higher office, which clearly, like a lot of you have talked about, he seemed to be sort of the golden boy. And a lot of people were thinking he was sort of the backup to Cackles, Kamala. And uh, now I don't think even Democrats would want him. I think he has been so pathetic. And all you have to do is show those people on one side of the screen, you know, in East Palestine, and then show Pete and his lackluster attempt. That is that is like a death sentence for a politician in terms of his political future. Let's go to uh, Rick, line one. Rick, your thoughts real quick. Rita, I got information on Greenpeace, but first a quick brag, because I talked to the great one tonight, Mark Levin. Yep, I love Mark. Yep, I debunked the global warming scam for him three times, and he said I was absolutely correct, and then he recommended me for the new head of NASA. Ah, by the way, Rick, you got my vote, and I love Mark Levin. Mark and I go back in from the 90s. I interviewed him when I was at Fox News. He is such a great guy. Everybody, we are going to continue after the break. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. of people in my life uh but boy this woman is a loony kazuni i mean this woman is one of the wackiest kookiest people i have ever heard uh and ever seen and later on in the hour here on the rita cosby show we're going to talk about this gal this is the forewoman of the special grand jury in georgia and i really thought like maybe she's on some sort of drug the same drug that Stan who calls in every night is typically on or Teddy. But anyway, 
This woman was so kooky, and she's being interviewed, of course, on CNN and MSNBC. And, you know, when you're on these special grand juries, you are supposed to shut up. You're supposed to not say a word. You're supposed to maintain secrecy. You're never supposed to really talk about the deliberations, any of the, you know, any inference of guilt or not guilt or how the process worked. You basically should never be seen. In most cases, especially in something sensitive like this, it should be no one ever knew. Maybe even your spouse doesn't even know. It's supposed to be top secret. And this woman, this woman, I think, is honestly nuts. I mean, I was watching it at first the other night when this forewoman, this is Emily Kors is her name. And she was the lead juror on the panel that was convened by Fulton County District Attorney Fanny Willis. They apparently came out with recommendations. They can indict, but they can recommend to indict and send it to the DA. Um, But I think she has ruined the case for the Georgia grand jury. And if there was any sense of credibility to be part of the process, she killed it. This woman, I think, is one of the wackiest people I've ever seen in my life. She's making these, like, bizarre affects and laughing and silly and seems so happy to be on camera and so giddy. Um, It's no wonder that just a few hours ago, former President Trump came out. He basically called it a kangaroo court. And he said, this Georgia case is ridiculous. It's the greatest witch hunt of all time. Now you have an extremely energetic young woman. I'm actually proud of him because he held back. I would have called her a loony wacko. But he said, quote, an extremely energetic young woman, the four person on the racist DA's special grand jury, according to Trump, these are his words, going around and doing a media tour, revealing incredibly the grand jury's inner workings and thoughts. And he further said, quote, this is not justice. This is an illegal kangaroo court. And guess what? He's right. After you see this woman, when you're in a a jury, I was on a jury years ago. I'll never forget about it. And I was in the process. It was fascinating to be a part of. Mine was not as obviously as important as something with the former president of the United States. It was a guy who tripped on a carpet, but it was a guy who was a well-known uh, football player owned the building and some guy had back problems or whatever. But even then, we took our job really seriously. And it was fascinating for me uh, to be on the jury, just to see how the jury process worked. I took it incredibly seriously. We all really thought through it. We really were trying to be careful. We were respectful of the process. We wanted to be fair to everybody. And we really took our time. And I could never imagine, even on a case like that, coming out and laughing and being silly, Because there's a very big responsibility. You have someone's future in your hands, whether in my case, a small part of it. Mine was more of a civil case. It was a monetary question. And in this case, you're talking about the president of the United States. You better wipe that smile off your face and stop laughing like a two-year-old schoolgirl. I mean, it was outrageous. It is outrageous. And I think any sense of if, if you wanted to think that that process was just and fair, it ain't. And I'm telling you, if something comes out of it from the DA and their charges, I bet you the charges will get dismissed in one second. Because guess what? They will have no standing because of this stupid little schoolgirl who's out there laughing. And to me, it just shows that they are so out to get President Trump at all costs that they'll put some stupid idiot like that on the jury. And if this is the best person you got on the jury, 
you are in damn trouble because usually the four person is like, okay, who's the person who can sort of step back and be the mature person? Can you imagine where the other ones like, you know, uh, you know, like what uh, couldn't speak English or something? I mean, this is the best you got. Boy, you are scraping. It's called scraping the bottom of the barrel. You know, I can't imagine what the other ones were like if this is the intelligentsia on the committee. Uh, boy, are we in trouble. And boy, did President Trump, uh, I think, get lucky because this woman, I think, basically ruined any case that might have come against him and anybody else, too, quite frankly. Because she's out there like, oh, is it President Trump? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, yeah, I can't really say, but you're not going to be surprised. Stay tuned. You know, and you'll get a free Big Mac with every purchase. I mean, that's the way she's treating it. It is so insulting to the process. It's insulting to the office of the presidency. It's insulting to the decorum of the court. And here's just a little snippet of what I think is probably one of the most bizarre people I have ever seen. And this is the person who was the forewoman of the grand jury investigating the president of the United States and other people in the administration because they called Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff. They called Rudy Giuliani, uh, the president's attorney, all these people. And these are the people who are supposed to be judging them. This is outrageous. Listen to this buffoon. Did you personally want to hear from the former president? I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. And so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in, I just, I kind of just thought that would be an awesome moment. I can see how trying to get the former president to come talk to us would have been a year in negotiation by itself. So it sounds like that was ultimately (laughs) a battle that you all decided not to wage. Exactly. That's, that's kind of how it ended up was that. And I'd be fascinated by what he said, but do you think he would have come in and said anything groundbreaking or just the same kind of thing we've heard? So at some point you don't need to hear 50 people say the same thing. Mm. You know what I mean? At some point you, kind of start to get the gist (laughs) (laughs) isn't that hilarious i'm just thinking about ruining the president of the united states and i'm thinking about ruining his whole cabinet and boy i'm 30 years old and i act like i'm 12 I, i mean this to me is shocking but boy it sort of epitomizes the way that this whole process has been from the get-go and i think she just handled basically handed uh, this case on a silver platter to President Trump for it to get dispensed, for it to get removed. Because I'm telling you, if I was Trump and President Trump's attorneys, I'd be like, thank you, idiot. You basically got this case thrown out for me. And it just shows what a mockery this whole thing has been from the beginning and what a mockery you took this process. Because, boy, she couldn't wait to maybe see the president And ask him, do you solemnly swear? Isn't that fun? Oh, my gosh. I'm a grand juror. I can't believe it. Ah! This to me is insane. So later on in the hour, we're going to talk about that. What an idiot. 1-800-848-9222.
too. Meantime, I also want to talk with you about the NTSB briefing today because we were talking about the train derailment and the poor people there in East Palestine that have just gone through such unbelievable hardship. Just a few hours ago, it came out that basically preliminary findings by the National Transportation Safety Board, the investigating agency, uh, said essentially that an overheated axle basically caused the wreck they believe. That's preliminary findings. That train, by the way, is about two miles long. That train that derailed in East Palestine. Isn't that amazing? That's how long it is. Uh, and they said the 23rd car of a 150-car train basically had a wheel bearing that was overheating, that the tracks were fine, so it's not a track problem. They eliminated that, but that there was a problem with the wheel bearing, and about 30 miles before the accident, it started overheating. They had these sensors that are on the tracks, and it started overheating, but it didn't send a signal that train, basically train companies can basically override early signals, early warning signals, And then you just need to be bothered when it's really bad is basically in in short form. So then it goes through, uh, started heating up, maybe a a sensor, but they overrode it. So it didn't go to the uh, engineer. There were only two workers on that entire train. That is stunning, too, for a train that's about two miles long, two workers. Do you think they're understaffed or what? Uh, And covering, bringing hazardous materials. I I mean, that which weren't marked. That's a whole other issue. And then another 10 miles later, apparently another sort of trigger went, but it wasn't severe enough that the way the structure of the train was, it didn't signal the engineer. And then lo and behold, right before it crashed, suddenly a signal went to the engineer. So his first warning that something was really seriously wrong. And at that point, that wheel bearing was red hot. And then almost immediately he tried to brake. And couldn't break in time. And basically, it was catastrophic almost at that moment that the wheel bearing was literally like, you know, basically so overheated uh, that there was nothing that they could do. It was way too late. So if you look at all of that stuff, is there something that's President Trump's fault? Because that's what Pete Buttigieg thinks. Everything is Trump's fault. Trump, 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 Trump. Orange man bad. And if you listen to this. Now, NTSB wouldn't blame Norfolk Southern directly today. They they wouldn't just kind of answer it. They just said, here are the facts. But what they did say was this was 100% preventable. That's a direct phrase from the NTSB chairwoman. She said the tracks were good. I'm not going to point the blame yet, you know, whether it's like the engineer's fault or whether it's Norfolk Southern's fault. But I can tell you. I can hear lawyers around the country saying ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. And I think based on this, Norfolk Southern should be sued to high heaven. This is outrageous because clearly they had a malfunctioning problem. And based on what the NTSB said today, they had some system that they can either internally either take the signal so the engineer would have known right away there was a problem or they can override it so the engineer can basically be alerted when it's really, really bad. But the problem is it's too late. So why didn't they have the system that when there was a minor problem with that wheel bearing on the 23rd car, they said, at that point, if they were alerted sooner, even if it was just a minor overheating, but a signal that there was something wrong, he could have stopped the train 30 miles before it crashed 
and pulled over and took a look at it and said, wow, this is a little interesting. Maybe we should check. Maybe we need to do something. But because of some system on that train that Norfolk Southern had that overrode it, and basically other trains have this too. It's up to the train owner, basically, the train structure, the manufacturer. Uh, basically, they allowed it to continue. And this is interesting, too. Another detail that came out that was stunning to me. There's a report out there uh, from ProPublica that in October 2022, just a few months ago, that Norfolk Southern had a derailment in Sandusky, Ohio, where they had directed a train with an overheated wheel, sound familiar, to keep going. And they had an accident with that one as well. So isn't that interesting? They already had a history of allowing overheated wheels to basically keep going. Maybe they even changed the system where they don't want to be alerted if it's just a slight overheated wheel. But guess what? If you ignore a problem when it's mild, it gets worse, especially if you're traveling on a two-mile-long train. And that's what happened here in this case. They should have been alerted sooner. So whose fault is this? Is it Trump's fault? I didn't see him, like, working on the train tracks. I didn't see him working on the sensors, and I didn't see him with an engineer's cap on. But if you listen to Put- Buttigieg, Booty Buttigieg, you would think it is. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. And we'll take your calls when we come back. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You are listening to the Rita Cosby Show, and we are talking about the fact that the NTSB is now saying that it was an overheated axle moments before the wreck. CNN is basically talking about the Ohio train crash victims as political extras for Trump because they can't give Trump credit for going there a day before Buttigieg, who took three weeks to go. Three weeks. And boy, was he pathetic. He slinked in. He slinked out. And I contend he is no longer presidential candidate material, which a lot of people on the Democrat side thought he was. By the way, this is a shocker, too. Uh, There's a new poll out that basically in November, uh, Biden, Democrats were saying 13 percent wanted him to run. There was another poll where 17 percent wanted him to run. And there's a new number now where they basically say that. 50% want him to run. Who are these 50%? And what kind of drugs are they on? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to BJ on line two. BJ, your thoughts about uh, Buttigieg and his lack of leadership. Yeah. Biden is the career ender. You know, he he's uh, uh, you said it earlier, uh, Buttigieg is is done now. Okay, Uh, Kamala Harris is done now. Okay, professionally speaking, they they just can't survive. This lady that's the pre- White House press secretary, Jean Pierre, uh, uh, yeah, know Corinne, everything, yeah, Corinne Jean Pierre, yep. Uh, she's another one done. Uh, they're lucky if they can work for CNN after this is uh, and, and get Don Lemon's job. You know, um, there might be a dog catcher position somewhere. You know, <laughs> they're, I'm telling you, I agree. They're so bad. I I mean, I, granted, on the other hand, you know. They probably were handed a, a bad deck, you know, when somebody says, hey, uh, I know there are people, um, I'm sure that Biden is saying, no, don't go, don't go. You know, not that Buttigieg is itching to go, 
um, but you got you know Buttigieg who's so lackluster and so detached, and then you got Biden who doesn't know what planet he's on. So you don't have good leadership, and if you don't have initiative yourself, you're in trouble. Well, what do these three individuals have in common? Uh, the answer is they tick off all of the, um, uh, how shall we say, um, uh, uh, special category boxes on the qualifications, but they do not have the qualifications. So, for instance, you have people who are, uh, you know, they belong to a certain intersectional class, but they do not have uh, any qualifications to do the job that they have. Uh, they're just they're they're just not up to it. Now, th- there's another interesting aspect of this. They keep uh, forcing this notion that there's a controlled burn going on with this train. Okay, this this went on for a while. It's a controlled burn. The derailment is uh, it's under control. You know, a kid in a chemistry class in high school learns what a controlled burn is, and and what that is is exactly what it uh, what it says it is. It's you control where. Uh, 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 the fire is going and you also control how much oxygen gets to the fire. These chemicals were spewing into the entire area, poisoning uh, the entire area of East Palestine. And we're told that it was a controlled burn. It was anything but a controlled burn. And uh, this is just terrible for these people. I really, uh, I can't get over how their lives are ruined now. I know. And, and BJ, you heard that, that they were asking also the other day um, to the Norfolk Southern people who, based on what the NTSB is saying, uh, they may be extremely liable in this case. Um, again, preliminary, but it doesn't look good for Norfolk Southern. And they were saying, you know, uh, have you taken years off my life? Have you killed my child in the future? Like, am I going to have cancer? Is my child going to have cancer? I mean, these are really serious questions. And, you know, Norfolk Southern finally is at least trying to do something. Buttigieg is barely there and Biden is never there. So what a sad situation for these people. And just like you said, who knows how, first of all, their lives are, are you know, disheveled forever, uh, you know, turned upside down. And who knows what kind of health issues um, and psychological, so many things uh, that they're going to have to go through. And my thoughts and prayers are with them. George, let's go to you on line one real quick. George, your thoughts. Yeah, there was just another train accident today. A freight train just I went right I saw that. Through. I saw that and hit a, a car a or a truck or something, right? Tr- an 18-wheeler. Yep. The wow. guy was able to get out of the truck before he got hit. So obviously this train wasn't able to stop or wasn't even trying to stop. Is that Trump's fault? Well, well, everything is, by the way. As, yeah. If you listen to Buttigieg, you know, if it's... Uh, if uh, the sky is, uh, you know, not the right color blue, it is Trump's fault. And if you have a cold, it's Trump's fault. So everything is Trump's fault. Don't you know that, George? You know, that's the M.O. of Buttigieg. When we come back, we're going to talk about this kooky juror. And if you think the grand jury, any reference they make should be thrown out. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Show presents Support Our Heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, which I love doing every night here on the Rita Cosby Show, a powerful story coming from Arlington, Virginia, talking about the Military Women's Veterans Memorial. Now, according to the memorial, which is right there near Arlington, on Arlington, 
Three million women have served in and or with the armed services since the American Revolution. That's amazing. Three million women served. The Military Women's Memorial, which is located just outside of the Arlington Memorial in Virginia, recognizes and honors the commitment, contributions, and experiences of our nation's service women. During each honor flight to Washington, D.C., the memorial recognizes the female veterans in the group. Indeed, over the past few months, Iraqi Freedom Army veteran Staff Sergeant Seward McKinney and also Marine veteran Corporal Hannah Jordan were honored. And Corporal Jordan said the museum issues the appreciation of all women that have served past and present. And to be able to hear all of the stories of all of the older generations of veterans and even the younger generations that are the guardians. What a beautiful testament. And by the way, I did a book on my father years ago and we shot the cover of the book. We shot a picture of me and my dad inside the Military Women's Memorial. It is a beautiful place, and the people there were so nice and so helpful. It's a beautiful place, and I encourage all of you, if you're down there and you're near Arlington National Cemetery, absolutely go there and visit it. It is great and wonderful. Well, one thing that ain't great and wonderful is this bozo, and that's the nicest thing I can say. This is this girl, and we're talking about the forewoman of the jury. I can't believe... This person is over the age of 12. She is actually 30 years old. And this is this girl, Emily Coors. She's the lead juror on the panel that was convened by the Fulton County DA. And they were investigating, of course, the possibility that the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, could potentially be indicted. They were looking at whether there were actions into the 2020 elections looking at him and looking at other people in his administration, a very serious thing, a very historic moment. And this woman is going on like a media blitz tour, and she's sounding like a babbling idiot. First off, when I first saw that she was doing an interview period, I thought, what is a person on a jury, a four-person, anybody on a grand jury, which is supposed to be a secret proceeding, what is she doing out there? And then I saw her answering questions that she shouldn't be answering. And then I saw her laughing and giddy and looking all wild-eyed um, like a two-year-old kid, like a, like, a, like a teenager. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. And President Trump has come out and said, this is a kangaroo court. And basically, the way that this girl has acted just shows that they didn't take this process seriously, that nothing they said could be credible. She seems like a real idiot, and I hate to say that, but she has, like, totally tainted anything that they were doing. If there was any sense of credibility to the process, and I think a grand jury, especially when you're investigating the former president of the United States, you should take it so seriously. And this girl just seemed to be in la-la land. She seemed to be not, like... Has, has no concept of what is going on. Seems completely clueless, completely out of touch, and is laughing and giddy and was laughing, saying, God, I wish I had had a chance to talk to the president of the United States. Boy, would it have been fun. And then listen to this exchange with someone on the media on CNN. This is the foreperson of what is supposed to be a secret grand jury. Take a listen. Did you recommend charges against Donald Trump? I really don't want to share something that the judge made a conscious decision not to share. I I will tell you that it was a process where we heard his name a lot. 
we definitely heard a lot about former President Trump, and we definitely discussed him a lot in the room. And I will say that uh, when this list comes out, you wouldn't, there are no major plot twists waiting for you. Uh, I mean, what are you kidding? That is unbelievable. And she sounds at least semi-coherent there. But regardless, boy, uh, she really was hitting at something. And this is what New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman had to say about this juror. She certainly seems like she's teasing that, you know, stay tuned, um, that that something is coming related to him. But she doesn't uh, go further than that, I assume, because she got some instructions on what she could actually say. Uh, By the way, and she clearly has, I think, destroyed any case that Georgia would try to put against President Trump. This juror looks like an idiot, a babbling fool. She's liking the camera too much. She's laughing. She's like, God, it's so great. And you know, it's so bad that even CNN is blasting her. Take a listen. Horrible idea. And I guarantee you that prosecutors are wincing watching her go on this. I was wincing just (laughs) watching her eagerness to like you know, hinted stuff. It's painful in that respect. This is a very serious prospect here. We're talking about indicting any person. You're talking about potentially taking away that person's liberty. We're talking about potentially a former president for the first time in this nation's history. She does not seem to be taking that very seriously. There's no reason for her to be out talking. No, it's a prosecutor's nightmare. And I would love to have interviewed her. I would have loved to. I would have like let her go for, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And then at the end, I would have said, Uh, Is there something wrong with you? Do you have a psychological problem? Because you're out here telling me all these things that you never should say, and you're laughing too much. You're seeming to enjoy the limelight. I've never seen someone, like, muck it up to the cameras. Uh, Bizarre, giddy. I mean, it is so weird. Her affects are just unbelievable. Here's just a little sample of of a wacky jury four-person on a Georgia case, which could potentially incite indictments of the president of the United States. Can you believe this person is a jury four person? Listen to this. Yes, I will tell you, it's it's not a short list. I mean, we saw 75 people and there are six pages of the report cut out. So we're talking about more than a dozen people. I would say that. Yes. Are these recognizable names, names that people would know? There are certainly names that you would recognize. Yes. There definitely are some names that you expect. I'm not going to speak on exact indictments. I don't think I don't think that there are any giant plot twists coming. I don't think that there are any like giant. That's not the way I expected this to go at all. Mm. I I don't think that's in store for anyone. Probably not. Um, I wouldn't want to characterize anyone else's reaction, of course. But so that was something we heard a lot in testimony. Um, but probably not. It probably wouldn't shock you. I would not expect you to be too shocked. No. And that includes of the former president, potentially. Potentially, it might. My coolest moment was shaking Rudy Giuliani's hand. That was really cool for me. I, I made a point of, of stopping them and being like, wait, before we, before we go back to this, can I shake your hand? Because it's an honor to meet the guy. It's really neat for me. A special grand jury led by someone who has never before participated in the most basic part of our democracy, voting. 
Someone who, during proceedings, drew sketches of witnesses like Senator Lindsey Graham and former Trump aide Mark Short, and who swore in at least who swore in at least one witness. I am not kidding here. Holding a teenage mutant Ninja Turtles popsicle stick. I've heard it all. By the way, I like shaking Rudy's hand too. Isn't it great? And I'm a four person of a jury. I, I I've never heard anything like that in my entire career. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Did she just hand the dismissal of the case on a silver platter to President Trump? I contend. Yes, yes, and yes. Let's go to Pete in New Hampshire. Pete, your thoughts about Emily, the four-person. Isn't she funny? Rita, she's psychotic. She's a drip with nothing but drivel. And when I say that, oh, by the way, thank you for allowing me to speak on your show freely while we still have our First Amendment, Rita, okay? The thing about this this thing, I'm going to call it it for what it is, she is a mess. Number one, it should go to a mistrial. The whole case, the whole thing should be shut down. Another thing I could also go to, I can align her, Rita, if you follow and listen to me and what I'm saying. And if you can still hear me, my phone is a little... Yep, I hear you loud and clear, my friend. She reminds me of Kathy Aru, the liberal Sherpa. And if you remember, and your listeners remember, she was the one that came on Tucker Carlson's show... 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, approximately a year ago, and came on. She was the one talking about, uh, you know, sex, transsexual and homophobia and uh, blah, blah, blah. And all of this is nothing but a bunch of empty air, hot air, Rita. Although, you know what, but you know what, Pete? But, Pete, you know what? This to me is a little different. And the reason I say that is this gal is like, oh, like, like you can't take anything she says seriously. I'm talking about the four person because she is just so, uh, I think psychotic is almost a great word. She's just, she, her affects are weird. Like I thought, like, I, I was like, who is this person talking? Just look, even looking at her, like our eyes are shifting back and forth, you know, and then she's smiling like in these totally inappropriate times. And then when I see the banner, oh, she's a four person of the Georgia jury. I was like, what? Like I had to keep looking at it. Like I thought I misunderstood who it was because she, you know, she just not only uh, she just sounds like a 12 year old schoolgirl. It is the most pathetic thing I've ever heard. Um, and Pete, I, I gosh, I appreciate your insights. You are terrific. Let's go to Phil line four. Phil, your thoughts. Uh, Rita, is this thing on the level with this woman? Is she actually a four-person on a jury? She sadly is, and it was the jury that has wrapped up, remember? So um, what is shocking, Phil, is that, as you know, I mean, I you you know, obviously, a lot of these, you're not supposed to speak if you're on a grand jury. And, and boy, is she tipping her hand of what they were doing. She's like, gosh, I wish I had gotten Trump under oath. Wouldn't that have been great? You know, and this is this is the best. Can you imagine what the other people on the jury were like if this was the the like leader of the pack? Was it like uh, like was it Animal House? Well, you know, Rita, quite frankly, she's she's in a lot of trouble because the four person of a jury. I've been on jury duty. I know the four person of a jury is very carefully selected. Okay, because they sometimes have the authority to settle disputes in the jury room, which no one else can walk in on. Uh, 
whoever picked her, I think, is in more trouble than this woman is because the, the people who chose her, who, who interviewed her with the judge, apparently either she put on an act for them or this is the way she really is. I, I mean, the, the bottom line is this, this basically handed Trump et al. a tremendous advantage. Now, I don't know about a complete and utter victory, but a complete absolute advantage because it's so it, the, the whole process could be impeached right now. Not Trump. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. The whole process could be tainted. And and, um, and Phil, great call, too, because I totally agree with you. And I think um, when Trump is calling it a kangaroo court, I mean, it's the whole zoo. This woman is like the zookeeper. I mean, there's like she is like a kookadoo. Oh, my gosh. Let's go to Nora, line seven. Nora, your thoughts. Good evening, Rita. I wanted to uh, let you know I did a little research, and believe it or not, well, in the uh, state of Georgia, it is not prohibited for uh, post-verdict interviews of jurors, but the juror has to be told that they don't have to request to be interviewed or they don't have to answer questions. But the thing is, this is a grand jury that was impaneled for recommendations to refer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Nora, by the way, let me tell you, you know, also the rules. I don't blame the media for asking. As a member of the media, the media can ask anybody. But uh, the preceding rules, by the way, in the state of Georgia is do not discuss cases with your fellow jurors or anyone else outside the jury room. Those are instructions given by the state of Georgia in the grand jury handbook. I'm literally reading a quote to you right now. So, you know, so they are instructed, do not discuss it. Do not talk about it, especially when it comes to grand juries. I've had friends who have been on grand jury cases and they've been told, do not talk about it. And I've had friends who are big talkers and they still won't tell me what the cases are. But that's what that which I I appreciate because it's respect for the process. By the way, the Supreme Court says the same thing about grand juries. So she shouldn't be talking. And her not only the speaking, don't you think, Nora? And, and, you know, it's like this giddy, stupid girl. Like, she just well, could I, looks you know ridiculous. What, could, I, um, could I offer you, um, well, I think she's has spoiled a future, uh, you know, jury panel. That's for sure, with, with, her, with her antics. But I just wanted to make a personal observation of her, because no one has brought this up. I did look at her interviews, um, and I noticed that, well, two interviews, I noticed that she was wearing the same, either it's a top or or a dress. And in one interview, she was very plain, no makeup. Her hair is pulled back. The second interview, I believe it was CNN, she had full makeup and her hair was styled, presumably the, the CNN, you know, hairstylist and makeup artist. And she was really going to town. So it's obviously she's an unsophisticated woman. Perhaps this was her, this is her moment to cash in, as they say. Well, she, and, and by, the, by uh, the way, she even said that at one point. She's like, I guess this oh, is my 15, not cash in, but she said, 15 this is minutes like, of, yes, oh my God, yes, the Andy Warhol 15 minutes. There you go. I, I knew it. And it's, as you said, if she's the grand, if she's the four lady, she's the who four knows? Person. <laughs> Them were like, can, can you imagine? <laughs> like, I mean, it's like, like it's like Monty Python. I mean, it would. This would actually be. I, actually, Nora, if if I were Saturday Night Live this weekend, I would go to town. I'd be like, <laughs> can you imagine? Bring out the yeah. four person. That would be a great skit. And then you bring it out all be. the other ones. <laughs> you know, like what? you can it's see right. them like yeah. 
pretending who are the other ones. You know? <laughs> it writes itself, and you know, but the whole thing is very sad. However, uh, yes, I think that uh, they're going to quash. They, they, this is definitely to quash the jury. Absolutely. Yeah, either that or she's taking some really good drugs. Uh, Nora, thank you. You're terrific. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody, uh, with the, the foreperson of the jury from Georgia. She is so funny. 1-800-848-9222. The Rita Cosby Show. We are talking about this laugh track, Looney Kazuni, forewoman of the special grand jury uh, that was called to investigate the actions around the 2020 election in Georgia. And President Trump had put out a statement just a little bit ago saying it's a kangaroo court that this woman is clearly nuts. And she's out there mucking it up. And as Nora was just saying, you know, on the first interview, she is mucking it up enough. And then the next one, she's like even laughing even more and like these just bizarre affects. And I think she has clearly helped President Trump because all he has to do is say, would you ever take this person seriously? These recommendations from a grand jury that this loony Kazuni who's like laughing left and right and like like seems to be. I have never seen someone who other than Chuck Schumer, who loved a camera so much. You know, it's like, woo, you know, oh, there's a camera. Oh, my gosh. And I could have seen Trump. And, and I love shaking Rudy's hand. Boy, that was the greatest. You know, I mean, this is like the kookiest person I have ever seen. I can't. I, I would love to. Now I'm dying to see who are the other people on the jury that this was the best they got. Because usually you pick like the most level headed, like intellectual sort of like stable person. This is stable. What was the other person like Hannibal Lecter, you know, in a straitjacket? Those are the other members of the grand jury. I mean, that's what I think. This is like unbelievable. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Wendy. Line one. Wendy, your thoughts about this? Yeah. Hey there. Good evening, Rita. Well, my thoughts are that Things are often not what they appear to be. And I have to think that the prosecutors must have known what kind of person she was. And um, if you had a case that was really important to you, wouldn't you tell all of the jurors to not speak to anyone whatsoever? Thousand percent. And by the way, I'm sure the judge also instructed the jury. It's it's in the grand jury handbook and, and they are instructed. You, you know, you should not speak. You shouldn't talk about the proceedings. Um, you should keep it quiet. Don't even basically tell your family. Um, so she clearly is violating all of those proceedings. She's totally tainting, uh, you know, a right to a fair trial. And she's clearly going over the edge, suggesting, oh, about Trump. Is it Trump? Well, there won't be any surprises. I mean, it, like she's saying so much then she she shouldn't be talking, period. And she's going so far. And her behavior, Wendy, is just really bizarre. That's like the the nicest thing I could say. I think she's a troubled young woman. And I think it's so scary that the fate of the president of the United States and the fate of Lady Justice was in the hands of of this kook. Uh, I mean, she's a loony kooky kazoo. 
I mean, that's the nicest thing I could say about her. Wendy, thank you for the call. Let's go to Steve, line eight. Steve, your thoughts about uh, Looney Kazuni. Hey, there have been reports about her having these retarded things about, like, witchcraft on her social media pages. And she was elected as the forewoman of the, jur- of the jury. How'd she do that? Witch- wait, 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 wait. There was a report she was involved in witchcraft? Like these crazy things on her social media pages, how she decided that not real witchcraft, obviously, but how she she was like into like fantasy witchcraft or something. Well, like, by the way, she, what, whatever that uh, witchcraft dust she's taken, it's working because she's like, I mean, uh, that she I wouldn't be surprised because she's got a spell on all of us. And, I, and she's spelling weirdo. Steve, that's all I see is weirdo. That's the spell she's got on all of us. Uh, let's go to John. Uh, did, is she casting a spell, John? Hi, Rita. First off, it's amazing. Uh, it took four and a half years to search and troll the ones way through the swamp, but they finally found somebody who makes AOC look good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. By the way, she makes anybody look like a rocket scientist. You know, like, you know what's so scary, John, is this woman was picked as the foreperson. And as someone, I, I told you, I served on a jury, not a grand jury, and mine was a civil case, um, you know, not as serious as this. But you go through deliberations, who should you pick, who's the best person, what would be uh, the best, and you really are thoughtful. And again, mine was a small case, and I took it very serious. I was fascinated by the process. I thought it was great. I cover a lot of cases. It was great to see it from the inside. And I felt honored to be a part of it every day. And this woman... You know, and this woman is like, it's, it's, it is like rife for comedy. I mean, don't you wonder, is she on some powerful drug, John? It makes one wonder if someone did, never underestimate the power of what influence shoving a bottle of muscatel under a jury room door might happen. (laughs) Good point, John. Good point. Isn't she a laugh a minute? Wow. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network.